Dear listener, this podcast deals with intense topics related to illness and mortality in relation to cystic fibrosis and lung disease. I just want you to know that that's the direction we're going. And I hope you still listen. Are you sick? Huh? Do you I don't smoke? You look it. fine. You, you, you look sick. healthy. That's a bad you cough. Fine. Are you okay? Are you okay? You, you smoke? That's a bad cough. You smoke? But you look healthy. Welcome to But You Look Healthy, a podcast about CF. I'm your host, Michael Healy. Today, we talk with my mom, Francine. I wanted to do an episode that focused on the experience of being a parent of a child with CF. My parents, Paul and Francine, met, fell in love, got married, and started having kids. Their first son, my brother John, was a healthy baby. Three years later, I was born. I've been told that I was born underweight and with a shallow breath and was swiftly whisked away to a newborn incubator. Once I had stabilized, I was okayed to go home with my parents. They say that for the first three months, I just didn't stop crying. They would feed me and I wouldn't gain weight. Clearly, something was not right. So they brought me to doctors and they ordered tests. One of these tests was a sweat test, the standard non-invasive test of the chloride levels in your sweat. As stated in previous episodes, people with CF have five to seven times higher chloride in their sweat. They are much saltier than an average person. My sweat test came back positive and the news was delivered. Before that diagnosis at three months old, My mom and dad had never heard the word cystic fibrosis. It's a funny thing to think about. I have only known my life with CF, or my family's life with CF. For me, it's almost as if CF is itself a member of our family, always here, always being dealt with. I asked my mom, Francine, to take me back. What was it like to hear those words, and for her and my dad, have their lives changed forever? We had never heard of cystic fibrosis. Um, it was terrible. <laughs> it's a lot to, to kind of go back to that. It was definitely a, um, a difficult and scarring time to learn that your darling baby, beautiful boy, was was going to have a hard road, um, as were all of us. Um, you know, the big brother John, Dad, um, my parents, it, it, it was life-changing. You know, one day you imagine, well, I don't know what's going on, why my child isn't gaining weight, why he cries all the time, but you think there's a solution. Mm-hmm. Um, and then to find out that this is a, you know, at the time, life expectancy was 21. Yeah. And it was a hard road. And we didn't know anybody with it. We didn't know the community. Um, I remember, especially when we when we first knew that you had cystic fibrosis, and we met Dr. Colin at Children's Hospital, who was your first pulmonologist, amazing, lovely man, and Judy, our wonderful um, social worker, and how I was really taken aback that they were assigning us a social worker. Hmm. I, I I mean, Judy has become lifelong friend, adore her. She's 
been just such a light at so many times, but the thought that we were going to need a social worker for me was something that really threw me. Everything was just, um, oh my God, what is this all about? And I also think because my mother had suffered with lifelong struggles with depression and, and, um, and treatment at a time that that wasn't uh, what anybody else knew about and there was, it wasn't written about a lot. It felt like very much I was kind of like thrown back into a, mm. a world of, of caring for something that a lot of people weren't going to understand. Mm. So it was heartbreaking because we did not want you to suffer and we did not want John to suffer and we didn't know what we needed to know. So we started, you know, immediately looking at things, but there was no internet, there was no Google. And a lot of what was printed was um, kind of dire and old. And it was at a time of, of cutting edge news. I remember the first person that I connected, um, uh, Keegan's mom, Sharon, who uh, uh, the gene had been discovered, I think in 88. Uh, yeah, 89. A couple, 89. And so she, who had Keegan, who was your age, was like, it's going to be, it's going to be solved. We're, we're going to get to the bottom of it and here's the hope. And, you know, within 10 years, it's, it's going to be cured. And I held on to that a little bit, but as, as you had your first hospitalization and life just got so complicated with every step of the way, mm-hmm. I knew that maybe it was going to be a different story. <laughs> it's going to be a lot, yeah. a lot harder. When thrown into a whirlwind like CF, it can leave one reeling with questions, desperate for any answers. The Cystic Fibrosis Foundation is often the first place new CF parents find understanding, comfort, and community. CF is such a demanding presence and so consumptive of time and energy, it can wear down the most resilient. Parenting and marriage are hard enough on their own, that to throw a chronic illness into the mix can only add to the strain. Due to the emotional and physical turmoil, there is a high divorce rate among CF parents. Whether it's having to manage the relentless medications and therapies, or the burdens of hospital bills, or the heartbreak of losing a child, it is easy to see how CF erodes relationships. I feel lucky to say my parents are still together, though exactly how, I don't know. There but for the grace of God go I, or us, as a family. After living in the world of CF for three years, my parents decided to have another child. Knowing that CF is genetic and that they had a 25% chance of having another child with CF, they still moved forward and chose to have their next baby diagnosed prenatal. I had to ask my mom, how do you make that choice? The choice to know and the choice after that. What do you do once you do know? So, so, so why did we try um, knowing that we had a 25% chance, which sounds like, oh, you have a 75% chance of mm. not having a kid with CF. I remember thinking that if CF went the way it was described while you were, when you were a baby, I wanted to try to have another sibling for John. Um, somebody who kind of shared this journey. We knew that it was possible that this baby would have a CF. And I actually, I had to know, I couldn't go through the whole 
pregnancy and uh we had two boys and so i i when we did the uh the in vitro i was like well if i know the baby has cf i don't want to know if it's a boy or a girl because if i know it's cf and a boy i, I don't know if i i, I needed to yeah. hold on some hope yeah. that that there would i knew i would love whatever came out but but that was a specific choice and then when we found out we knew when we tested that we would we were going to go forward there was no thought that that wouldn't happen um the day we found out was really really hard Mm. but then we just went forward i don't know i mean the day i'm I'm sure it was like a week or a month or more but then you know life with two young kids especially especially one who has a lot of needs you, you 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 don't have a whole lot of time to wallow so mm. it's one foot in front of the other. And, um, and we were really knowledgeable when she came out. We knew what to do. And, and her road was a, lot, was a lot easier, whether because we knew or because of you know, her ability to, I think, digest her food more um, mm-hmm. than you had. So I don't know. Yeah. I was thinking about what you, you had said about you know, couples a lot of high divorce rates or, you know, people mm. split up. It's difficult. And, and I think it's true. I think, I think you either you forge or you fight, you mm. know, it's because it's hard. It's hard. There's nothing easy about it. And I think we were both so committed to you initially and, and to John, you know, and, and, and like that to not work together seemed just not a choice, mm-hmm. really. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you. Uh, <laughs> kind of, uh, I mean, to connect almost those two ideas, like, I don't know how soon after you uh, found the community and found the CF Foundation, all those things, but if you could talk about maybe finding that and mm-hmm. as well as, um, like, I think that is a really special an intense part of the CF experience is this galvanized community through terror and, and pain and loss. But also I think there's a, a deep sense of fight and hope and kind of that sharedness of like the unspoken experience, but, but you all get to kind of gather together. Yeah, absolutely. I think that you're, you're right on the nose with that is that um, when you were first diagnosed, one of the things that I remember going through was being really mad <laughs> at all my friends who who had healthy babies mm. and um, feeling just so isolated and different from them that it was almost hard to be with them. It's, it's kind of why we sought out a different school mm. uh, for our family because I, I, I just, that was really hard for me. So looking for people who could understand the story was important, which brought me to the Cystic Fibrosis Foundation pretty immediately. Mm. I mean, I, I, I sought them out. And so you were diagnosed in March and the first dreams come true ball that I was got involved in, I think that was February, was my first fundraiser. Hmm. And, and that, so that's when you start meeting other people. I met, you know, Sharon and Keegan. And at the time you guys, we didn't know better. You guys could be together. Mm-hmm. And, you know, even if you are completely from different worlds and different people, the, the shared journey of worrying 
about your kids and how do you, how have you had this symptom? How have you dealt with it? What do you think of this doctor? I mean, just being able to talk about that and, the, and, and just the, the strangeness, you know, we're, we're all looking for understanding. And so just, just the strangeness of life that we lead compared to almost everybody else in the classroom in, in, and, and your, your family anywhere. It was just really comforting. And also we pretty much knew that any progress that had been made was because of the Cystic Fibrosis Foundation. And so if there was any hope of things changing, you had to kind of throw all your weight behind it. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's what we did. I think parenting in general is a role of caretaker. Even perfectly healthy kids need constant help and guidance in basic daily tasks. However, when you add CF on top of raising a child, the parent's role becomes heightened as a caretaker. When I was younger, my parents had to do everything and anything just to keep me and my sister alive, as well as care for and give equal love and attention to our healthy older brother. We had a daily chest PT, where my mom would cup her hands and beat our chests in six different positions to help loosen up the mucus in our lungs and help us cough it out. They managed our medications and medical appointments, had to feed us digestive enzymes before every single meal. Whenever we were in the hospital, they were the ones who had to help hold us down as we had needles stuck into us, or IVs placed, or blood drawn. Any time we were admitted to the hospital for two-week stints, my parents would try and make it as pleasant or joyous as possible. They would stay the night sleeping on couches, bring in McDonald's for lunches, and comfort us endlessly. My brother would come to visit us, and we would play on a rented PlayStation from the hospital's game room. As my mom will point out, we couldn't have done any of it without my dad. My dad, Paul, is our tireless hero, his job had him traveling all over the country for meetings. I can only imagine the stress of being away from your family while your kids are sick in the hospital, just trying to make life as pleasant or possible for your young family. Desperate to help us gain weight, he would cook constantly and anything that he thought we might eat. As I got older and grew into adulthood, I learned how to take on most of my CF responsibilities and mostly lived an independent life. But I could never fully separate from my parents. Eventually, I would always get sick, always need a hospitalization, always need support and help. Even though I lived out of the house, it seemed that every few months, I'd end up back home at my parents, too sick and too tired to be navigating my life alone. It wasn't until Trikafta that I really believed I could actually live for an extended time on my own. I am bewildered by their support of me and my sister and my brother. Where does that kind of strength come from? So first I will say that I had the great good fortune of, of not needing to work. Mm -hmm. I can't even imagine handling this if I also had to manage a job. So that was my job, you know, really, um, yeah, thinking about everything, wanting, um, you know, John, John, your older brother was really a, a foremost in my mind a lot of times 
I would spend all day worrying about you guys and trying to do all of the, the right medical things, um, you know, NEBs and, and PT and enzymes and just everything that had to be done, extra calories, blah, blah, blah. And at night I would, I would, I would dream that I had, uh, I'd left John like in the house alone somewhere and I had to get back to him because I was determined that, you know, he not be forgotten in all of this and that he, he, he had a, a lovely childhood and that you all had, you know, yeah. every minute that you were healthy, that you could participate in things. Sounds rosy, but it wasn't, it wasn't always clean, was it? It, was, it got messy. So, so the, the role, I mean, when you have kids, the kind of focus that you have for your children is something that you almost can never know until you have kids because the love and responsibility is so innate, you know, it's, 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 it is everything. It is all of my powers, everything that I could do that I, and if I had magical powers, that would have been even better was to make sure that everybody thrived as much as possible and had as normal, if there is a normal childhood, as, as we could. And, and following all the research and, and sort of climbing through it all, combing through it all and, and figuring out, does this make sense? Does this work for him? Because there's lots of suggestions, but each person is so individual mm -hmm. that different things work. And there are other things that are not necessarily suggested that you, you kind of have to seek out. So I'm thinking of things like I started you guys on acidophilus. Um, mm -hmm. and, and when I did that, which nobody was recommending at the time, you were pretty little, you, you gained weight. Mm. Uh, so, so like, like every molecule in your body is trying to process and find information that will give you the tiniest leg up until yeah. we get to a point where we're at today which i can't even believe we're at yeah 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 it is like a puzzle and still even though we have trichapta it still feels like a puzzle but yeah it's weird that it's always felt in some ways like a mystery or just like i hope this works or or, or if anything like you know you have the you have your whole care team you have all the science and the medicine to back you and we know what to do and at the same time yeah like you said it's like anything else i can do to just like notch it notch up my health just a little bit more or fight off the inevitable infection just a little longer uh, it's kind of frantic yeah. honestly it's a kind of like um a, a primal like scarcity almost Primal is a good word for it. It's, um, yeah, I mean, uh, yes. Well, I guess I always felt there was a little black book with my picture in it <laughs> where people, <laughs> teachers, other organizations could, could, uh, could write things about pushy mom. <laughs> Perhaps she has an issue, but I didn't care. Even at Children's Hospital where, you know, CF is a thing, but there's a lot of other things at Children's Hospital. I mean, um, when infection control came out, I was all over that. And if people didn't gown and glove and do what we knew was best practices, I, you know, I, I didn't suffer anybody with that. Mm -hmm. At school, I mean, I think 
one of the choices that we made as a family is we went to a very small private school where the entire community really knew our situation. So it was less, it was one less level where I had to explain everything all the time. Pretty much people knew what was going on with us. We went into the class and explained the, I explained things to John's class in third grade. And I think you guys bought, brought the vest in when you got it. Yeah. And I mean, it was so until eighth grade for all of you, not a big yeah. deal. High school, totally different. And you feel kind of like a crazy person when you go in and try to explain something about anything like, like why your kid is acting this way or, mm. or how, how dire things are We're like trying not to be a, you know, the sky is falling, the sky is falling, but also mm-hmm. trying to get people to, to, to understand the situation. Um, and to take it seriously, I find. I feel yes. Like, I feel like sometimes people don't uh respect some of my heeds of warnings uh yeah if they would if i was like let's i don't know if you could see maybe the what it actually felt like well and and i think people just when you don't have to deal with it you just think well that's their life they're in the hospital a lot and so there's there's a part of you that wants them to think of you as normal so you kind of make it like oh well it's okay we're fine we're just in the hospital again it's what we do but there's another part where you just want to yell at everybody and say, Oh my God, I don't, mm. I don't know where this is going. So that's why, that's why you, you, you grab your, your friends in the community where you can, that, that you can just vent about these kinds of things because nobody else really understands unless you're going through something quite specific. The CF community is a wonderful place to feel seen and supported. When I was born, there was little known about CF patients cross-infecting each other. When I was younger and in the hospital, me and my sister would share rooms with multiple patients as well as each other. These days, I have to wear a mask anywhere in the hospital and am immediately put into a room, quarantined away from other CF patients. My mom spoke about what that transition was like from her view and what has it been like to raise two kids with CF who can't be around other kids with their disease. Well, you know, when you were first diagnosed, I, I think um, maybe even somebody was talking or I had read about these camps that you guys uh, could go to that they had for cystic fibrosis. And I thought, oh, that would be great. You know, that that sounds like, like something that, that would be amazing. So you kind of start picturing, okay, where can you get support? What is your life going to look like? Because you know, it's not going to be a regular kid's life. And then pretty quickly, I want to say within the first year, I'm not sure when they did the changes, but you know, they figured out that Bisapatia gets passed amongst y'all uh, and that, um, you know, I, I'm thinking of when Children's Hospital changed the waiting area, because that was the biggest thing. Okay, you couldn't go to camp. Well, you never went to camp, but what can we do? But changing the waiting room where all the kids were waiting and we kind of would meet other people and you were you guys could play with things maybe in tandem with other kids there was a feeling of of community there you know even if you didn't talk to anybody or you uh, because people are always going through things in waiting rooms you're getting good news you're getting bad news but then all of a sudden it was like nope, you got to go into the, this tiny little room and wait and people will come to you. And 
was very, very different. And it you just felt the import of, you know, the fragility of this disease. If you thought about it too much, it could almost like COVID now, you know, it could uh, paralyze you because you really don't know who has CF out there, right? Mm-hmm. We would go to other doctor's offices and we had no idea if there were other patients who had been in the room before us who had CF as well. Or if you're in an elevator and somebody's coughing, you just never knew. So, mm-hmm. so part of it was they were being careful, but the other part was that your awareness changed and you knew people whose kids got cetacea and it was not a pretty story. Mm-hmm. And so that was terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. We, you spoke about it a little bit, but I want to touch on it just a little more, more focused on uh, talking about John, my older brother, and you know, he doesn't have CF and you're always really aware and, and cautious to not make him feel left out or forgotten. Um, I'm also curious what it is like as we get older or got older or just what's it like to have two sick kids who are like going through a lot, one who's not getting hospitalized and certainly how do you give them attention and love as an individual, but also how do you talk to them about there's two younger siblings who are Mm. clearly going through a very different experience? Mm. Hmm. Um, you had a great shrink for a little while. <laughs> John, when he, I forget what age he was, but he got a tick. And the tick that he got was coughing. Wow. He would clear his throat and cough all the time. And I thought I was going to go out of my mind because everybody was coughing all the time. Um, so I, um, I, there was just this wonderful woman who was a psychiatrist that I got hooked up with. And, and unfortunately she, after less than a year, she moved to Nantucket. Mm. And so that was really helpful for a bit for him to be able to talk through it with other people. I have to admit that there was so much going on with you guys that even though I knew that John needed more attention and voicing it didn't it didn't always get done because there was just too much going on so and I, I don't I'm not I would say I don't think it was always in my heart but I don't think I did the best job with that and particularly when I think of John going to college and his freshman year in college was when you had brain surgery that September Mm-hmm. So we kind of dropped him off in college, went home, found out you had to have brain surgery. And it was like, oh, well, good luck. Uh, because it just couldn't do it all. So we continue to have conversations now. <laughs> I think it's like a never ending thing. I would like to tell you a better story of how brilliant I was, but I don't think I was. Yeah, I think you were great you do the best that you can and what can you do with that kind of stuff on your plate how do you tell your child they are sick how do you tell them that sickness might not go away how do you tell them that sickness might reduce their life expectancy even before i knew the full scope of cf 
it was still a terror. Hospital visits, doctor's appointments, medical procedures that I didn't understand. It was an exhausting trauma that held no end. CF parents are strong. That's an understatement. They advocate for their kids, they envision a hopeful future for their kids, and they search for any avenue to better their child's health. CF parents are the lifeblood of progress in treating this disease. They fundraise, they advocate, they caretake, they endure. Nevertheless, I asked my mom, how do you navigate discussing mortality or serious illness with a child? I would say that we were very, very focused on the Cystic Fibrosis Foundation getting us out of this hole. And so, so my plan was, I would never lie, but I wasn't planning on having a big reveal unless I had to. And that every day, every year was more progress. So who knew what the end game was going to be? Uh, although we all know what our end game is going to be. Um, mm. And you all found out so differently, right? Amanda had the beautiful experience with her, a little friend getting angry and uh, saying to her, you know, my mom told me, you, me you're going to die. And then Amanda never told me that. I found out through her friend's mom, mm -hmm. Taylor's mom, called me and said, how, she do how are you doing? And I was like, huh? Mm -hmm. I'm fine. How are you? And she said, hmm, did you not hear what happened? And uh, the school never called me. No, they called me. And so if, if, if uh, Mrs. Hayes hadn't called, I never would have known. And God knows what would have happened to poor little Amanda's brain. Um, because when I asked her about it, of course, she started crying and said she didn't tell him because she thought I would be mad because she had a fight with her friend. And, you know, so all of these levels of horror. And so my solution, much like with John, was to get her a therapist um, to talk about this kind of stuff. Uh, you and John both found out definitively in that wonderful year of freshman biology, which I didn't know with John that that's what they studied, but they study a whole thing on genetics and they use cystic fibrosis as the example in the book. And they say that it is fatal. And I remember John saying, this book is so outdated. They said it's fatal. And I looked at him and I said, actually it's not. And I remember his face and he was, he was rather horrified. And then I felt like, again, boy, I didn't handle that well. <laughs> so <laughs> it's like a, kind of a great big feeling of failure. <laughs> is what it is. Yeah. And so, uh, and then you, similarly, I knew it was coming up and I actually had gone into your class and talked to your teacher. It's like, I know this, you just, I just need a heads up when it's coming. And then, um, it also happened to be the same time that somebody that we knew with CF was passing, who was um, in her 20s. Mm -hmm. uh, and so none of them were finessed. None of them, it was just something I just was never going to lie. I wanted to be honest, but I also wanted to be like, this is why we do what we do. Mm -hmm. 
we don't know what the end game is. This is why we do all of this fundraising. This is why we do all of these medicines. This is why everything happens. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I have no idea. I mean, I've even thought about it of just like, uh, or just in my own personal life, like uh, I've never felt like, oh, I wish I knew or I wish they had told me. Mm. It's also like, what the hell would that be like? Like being sat down by your parents and like giving that information. It's like, it's almost like it was easier or more easy to organic yeah. to learn it from an outside source than to it's like if you guys told me i'd probably have been like what like i don't is that really real i don't know mm-hmm. but um and you say that you know you've reflected on it as like oh no i didn't do that well or a failure i don't see it that way and my memory is always of like just you and dad being supremely strong and uh, just always having the like the utmost confidence in the both of you in every way, or just like knowing that I don't have to worry about so many things. I'm like, well, I don't know. they'll just, they're going to handle it and take care of it. They always have, they always will. And I guess my question is like, how do you stay so strong when it is so scary? And maybe mm. your, your response is like, oh, I didn't feel that strong, but from my experience and from, I'd say lots of people's, you were, so is dad and are still well thanks you know i guess like when i was saying before it's it's uh i mean when you have um this beautiful life that you have in our case created that you are responsible for i mean the love is so big that it's it becomes a weapon almost, you know, it becomes your armor. There is no choice in my, in the way that I looked at it, there was no choice. What is my choice? Is my choice to fall apart? Who does that help? It, it is, it is uh, pretty self-serving and gets us nowhere. You know, I want it to go better. That's what I'm hoping for always. So, so that's just what you do. You forge ahead, you forge ahead because if you don't, I mean, you can't, you can't not, there is no other option. You can't, if you don't have something so precious as life that you're responsible for, you can always say, oh, well, forget it. I'm not going to do this. But when you have a life, you, you, you just can't, it is not a choice. Mm -hmm. So I wouldn't say there's this huge well of strength in there. I think it's just like... This is, these are the cards you were dealt. And if you don't play them as best you can, it's not just your life. Through some cosmic serendipity, I got to experience the entirety of the COVID-19 quarantine living with my parents and my younger sister. It was the same time where me and my sister were both starting Trikafta. Aside from the physical changes we experienced, One of the most immediate changes we noticed was the house was much quieter. It used to be filled with constant coughing. My sister and me coughing all day and into the night. My brother noticed it too when he came to visit. Quiet. Very quiet. When Trikafta worked its magic and we were all forced to stay home and basically do nothing, I noticed a tired family an exhausted family, a family 
that had been fighting for the last 30 years and now finally had some respite. But we all also seemed a little lost. We were now learning how to fill our time without dealing with medical emergencies or a constant vigilance. It was beyond eerie. I don't know if any of us ever thought we'd get here. I often feel that the burden of CF is not just mine. My parents have yoked themselves to me to help shoulder the weight. Part of the joy of Trikafta has been getting to share it with my parents. They know me so well and so intimately, have seen me so sick and so compromised. And while Trikafta has felt like a rebirth for me, it must be amazing to watch your own child be reborn in front of your eyes. I, so what comes to mind is like, we've been talking a lot about where did you get your strength? And I keep saying, that's just what you do. You just gotta do it because if you don't, there's no other choice. But I think watching you all first morph into different bodies, it's very interesting to observe you all on Trikafta and think of what, how you presented before. Mm -hmm. It's very different. And the other thing that I would say too, so, so what comes into focus is the life we led mm -hmm. in a way that it's shocking to me that we made it through, that we yes. did all these things and we just forged ahead always, one foot in front of the other, no matter what was coming up. And uh, to the point where I feel like if we had to go back to life without Trikafta, yeah. I don't know how strong we'd be yeah. it because, it because we've had a moment to feel this, this lightness, this in a way, it's, it's both light and very heavy, right? Because no coughing. I mean, it, it, it's hard to explain to people who have not had this in their life. I mean, I knew whose cough, I knew where it was. If you're in a mall and you coughed two stores away, I could find you. Mm -hmm. I mean, I just, and if I hear either of you just go, <clears throat> I all my entire system lights up like, wait a minute. Mm -hmm. Oh, that was cute, wasn't it? You know, <laughs> rather than shit, what's going on? Mm -hmm. so, so a lot of it, I think, in some ways is relatable to PTSD, right? Like, what the hell was yeah. that all about? I can't believe, you know, that you all are coming into these beings that were always there, but couldn't quite metamorphose, you know, like yeah. it couldn't, couldn't quite come into being. And you guys look proportional. Like it is surprising to me how, you know, you were you, Amanda was Amanda, and that's who you were. But now with Trikafta, and I look at you and I'm like, you were such um, kind of caricatures of yourself in a way, you know, mm -hmm. like you didn't completely fill out your bodies. Yeah. And there's so much about you that if you think about it too hard, it's just the toll of this disease is, is pretty intense. Yeah. And, so, and so all you can do really, uh, you, you have to kind of go through that to just acknowledge what you've been through. But also there's this, oh my gosh, don't waste these moments, however long we have. Don't, mm -hmm. don't waste this, this beautiful moment of health. 
it's sure. been a very, very strange time. And I, I feel like the entire world got cystic fibrosis for a year. Uh, everybody had to be quarantined. You couldn't be near people. You had to wear masks. You know, people were talking about loss of sense of smell, which yep. you all know about, mm-hmm. um, you know, bowel issues, um, all the things going wrong with their lungs, like the long haulers. And it's just like, wow, that was our life, you know, yeah. in so many ways. And so, so the ease of your bodies and the, and not being in the hospital, I mean, to go a year without yeah. either like, one of you being in the hospital yeah. is crazy. Yeah. So it's like, it's like turning everything upside down, you know, with Trikafta and, and we've asked people for so much along mm-hmm. the way, there is a fatigue of, of mm-hmm. raising money. But also one of the things I'm just so fully aware of is, is how life-changing this drug has been for you and Amanda and for us, for me, as much for me as for you, mm-hmm. um, and how scared I am to go back to the other way of being and mm. to think of the people with CF who do not have after in their you know toolkit right now or mm-hmm. something like it is like that's bad and we can't we can't not see this through yeah. because uh because wow what a difference life is you know mm-hmm. it's completely different wow what a difference life is i hope this point has been made clear throughout this whole podcast that the gift and the glory we as a family have felt from Trikafta has been otherworldly. And it feels incomplete and insufficient without modulators for the 10% of CFers who do not have gene modulator therapies. This past June, me, my mom, and a team of friends and family raised over $16,000 and hiked 30 miles to continue funding research for a cure and for modulators for all CF patients. My family, my cousins, and my aunts and my uncles have rallied around this cause for the past three decades. But we just followed in the footsteps of those fervent CF fundraisers that came before us. And even with Trikafta, we are still in the fight, hungry as ever to fundraise and continue this unprecedented medical progress. It is with grace and gratitude that I get to ask my mom from this place of health I didn't even know was possible. What does she want to tell herself? Moving forward into the next frontier of a CF life. Don't dwell in fear. Hmm. I cannot tell you how much energy I wasted just projecting your lives, you know, or whatever was happening as you were coughing the night away without relief. And I thought, oh God, how afraid I was. I just, I wasted a lot of time being afraid. And that affects everything. It affects not just you, but it affects everybody around you. And and so, so I I would like to, to, uh, to tell that to myself right now. I've, I've talked a lot about it's, so scary to me to think about life without Trikafta. Hmm. So like, don't dwell in that, dwell in today and just, it's going to be awesome. So it's going to be awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks mom. For You're welcome, Mikey. Talking today and 
I'll see you soon. Well, I bet. I, I, yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right, sweetie. Love you. Love you too. Francine seems sure of the unknown, or rather, she is sure that there are things she may never know. She is a mother who speaks of epic love. She shows us her heart, which she wears like a shield and wields like a pike. She wants to fight for everyone who still doesn't have access to a drug that saved her life and the lives of her children. Where would I be without my mom or my dad, my brother, my sister? This disease, which feels so singular at times, is fought with a family. My mom says she wasted a lot of time being afraid back then and sometimes still sits in fear now. But I have felt her strength the power of her parenthood. I hope I can show up the way she has, be as resilient as she has, and take her advice as she continues to remind us, remind herself, don't dwell in fear. It's gonna be awesome. I love you, mom. I love you, dad. Thanks for everything. I'd like to thank Francine, my mom, for bravely sharing her stories. Special thanks to the Cystic Fibrosis Foundation Impact Grant for making this podcast possible. But You Look Healthy is produced by Michael Healy and Kevin Hong. Coming up next on But You Look Healthy, it's the last episode. I hope you join me. Until then, breathe easy.